Hello and welcome back to the London Tech Insider podcast. Today I speak to Gisela Rossi about her work at Pollen, an innovative events booking platform. Here, Gisela holds the position of engineering lead, which means she is well placed to speak about the unique culture which has been carefully created at the company. We also talk about the roles of managers in creating this culture and the types of engineering problems they've tackled as a company. So here is the episode, please enjoy. Could you describe for me and for the listeners what it is Pollen does? Pollen is uh, focusing, focusing on giving people a bigger life. Uh, so we, we get one life and we all want to make the most of it. And Pollen wants to help you when you look back on the last 10 years to make sure three of the best, those best experiences were with Pollen. So we have a lot of offering that we curate ourselves uh, that has to do with traveling and music, events, and sharing that with your friends and like with group of people you like. Um, and, and, the f- and, and the more we do those experiences, the more feedback we get from people on what were well, what kind of those combinations are really kind of put, like work well together, which doesn't work so well. And that experimentation um, enhances the next iteration and the next iteration. And that kind of learning um, brews better experiences over time. So um, what we really want to help people do is share with the people they like, um, have interesting experiences that they may not have in any other way. see new places. So that's, that's the pollen brand. Sure. Is, um, could you uh, maybe elaborate, say, on um, some of the tech products that you're building then to um, facilitate this goal? Yeah, so on the tech side of that, uh, we build all the marketplace for you to be able to buy your experience and customize it because there is not a single package you select. You you say, for example, oh, I want to travel to this place, uh, but I also want to add uh, this party and I want to go with this amount of people and I want to stay in this place. Um, and then also we do the support for when you are in the location, in the destination, we also support you um, how you move around, how you find your your place and your and your surroundings. Um, so we we handle all that. And we also have, of course, because it's a massive business, customer service uh, to to handle. So like when people comes to comes to clients, uh, either proactive by us or or in response to queries we get from them. And we also need the tech around handling that at a, at a scale. Uh, and the more experience you run, all of that needs to be at scale. Something that is very interesting on the tech side is because of how the sales model works. Um, instead of constant demand, for example, of the experience, you get really high peaks. Um, the experiences are um, advertised in a way that everyone will go and buy them kind of at the same time. Uh, so something that is... Uh, really interesting for me in that sense is 
a system that has to withstand a lot of pressure for a short period of time, certain parts of the system, of course. Um, and that, that, is some, that, that is kind of a, uh, some of the interesting bits on the tech side of mm. Holland. Before we perhaps go a bit more into what those uh, tech solutions are, um, you mentioned the sale model there. Uh, briefly, and I know that's another thing that's like very unique about pollen and uh, takes a little bit to get your head around. Um, could you explain that a little bit more? Um, so in this, the company has pivoted a bit over time. So at the beginning, uh, it relied a lot on ambassadors that uh, basically you were an ambassador and you would sell to uh, to you would advertise it to your network, for example, if you were kind of an influencer or something like that. Um, but that has kind of changed over time. And at the moment, uh, basically experiences go live on a certain day, which is advertised beforehand. And you go and, and kind of buy and that is where the pressure comes um, of the certain sale starting. Um, and then how you buy the experience, this kind of customization, you buy it and you select how many, for example, people you want to travel with, but that doesn't necessarily means you pay for all of them. So then you can share the links to your friends to travel with you. Hey, travel with me and they can all pay for their own stuff. Um, and that is kind of like, we want to build community around that. So we want to, people to start having their community of people they want to share these travels and these experiences with. All within the platform then, I guess. Yes, and, and within the destination, right? Yeah. The event itself, like outside the, the computer. Yeah. Um, and you were so sort of mentioning earlier then uh, the interesting challenges around scale. Uh, so I guess my first question would be what is the current uh, scale of pollen I know it's sort of a fast growing company the company has kind of left the startup place and it's definitely a scale-up company at the moment um, and that is such an interesting place to be at um, in terms of of course the customers and they having a lot more things to choose from, experiences to explore, artists to, to book with us, um, but also the, the behind the scenes of that and how you enable that happening uh, on, on very short period of time to change completely the scale and maybe double up the amount of comms you have to send, double up the amount of bookings you have to, to take. You know, how do you, um, doing those things are quite, interesting challenges, both on the organizational side, the tech side. Um, we also have to grow our company quite a lot, significantly to handle that. Mm -hmm. um, and for example, the tech, uh, the engineering organization within that is kind of tripling its size, um, at, at kind of as we speak, or that's the plan. Um, so it's quite interesting as well, how do you how do you hire this amount of people while you build the products and how do you onboard them successfully so they can thrive and, and do their best work? Uh, so I think it's a, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting place to be. I have working 
startups before, um, but this is my first time working on scale up. And I think the challenges are quite unique mm. and, and quite invigorating. Is um so your position at Pollen is engineering lead, if I'm correct? Yes. So does that sort of mean um quite an important part of your job is thinking about hiring? Um, yes, exactly. So <laughs> what um what generally do you think about uh with hiring and what's your um approach? Is it um sort of thinking about uh, company fit like is it quite unique the way you think about hiring at pollen would you say um so we have some uh some general company guidelines to think about it which i quite like um and we like to think of performance-based hiring which is a method lou adler uh coined and what we like to think about is can can the person I'm speaking to do do this job and are they motivated to do this job? Um, and which doesn't necessarily mean have they done it in the past? Uh, and I think that is quite an interesting one uh, in sense of like, you, we are not looking for a checkbox list that you have to tick of like, oh yeah, I have this amount of years of, Python experience or Django experience, um, you may not have done that, but we may be able to see patterns uh, of a fast career progression and you being highly motivated uh, and other things that are really valuable to us. Um, and that is kind of our general approach. Then in terms of more, uh, what I particularly always pay a lot of attention, I I think other managers do too, by the way, but just to 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 say on, on my side, um I always care a lot about team help and the team um the team culture very 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 collaborative and supportive and I'm always very I always try to guard that as much as I can. So I, I want is, that is not something I would compromise on, for example, and I will always be uh, during the interview process thinking about how I can um, evaluate for those things, for how the person would support, for example, someone more junior than them, if they are someone senior, um, that kind of thing uh, are, are of the utmost importance to me. So I'm always thinking about how do I evaluate this? How do I make sure I'm clear about these expectations and so yeah. on? So would you say this is quite um, unique to how engineering is done at Pollen or is this quite, um, you see um, other tech companies hiring in this way? I think it's quite unique, both things. Um, I think at least the places I have been in the past and I think in, in other companies, most of the companies I know, um, on the one hand, hiring has a lot of, a list of you have done this before. So you have been, a, a, for example, a, a backend engineer for this number of years. This is what we like. This is what we need. Um, here, not necessarily. Like, you, if you can do the test, maybe you haven't been an engineer uh, before, but if you can do the test, 
that's enough for us. Um, and then also this other kind of more collaboration side of it and more team communication. Um, I have seen many companies actually not evaluate communication at all in interviews. So for example, um, okay, like talk about, okay, you're a, sen you're a senior engineer and you have been a senior engineer for X amount of years. How, how have you mentored more junior engineers? How have you supported other people to grow? Um, how have you made your team uh, a collaborative space where people can feel safe to ask questions? Those are things I haven't really seen being evaluated in other places. Um, so I think in that way, pollen is quite unique because there is a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, and the company is always trying to be very careful about not damaging that culture, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I, I really like that. And how is, do you try to be quite objective in how you, because I know it is quite a difficult thing probably to measure communication. So how would you go about that? Um, so it's always example based. So all the interviews uh, we tried to say at the beginning uh, is not so much what would you do if you were in this situation. It's more like, tell me about a time where you, I don't know, whatever the, we are trying to measure at that point is. Um, and I always try, for example, when I'm in, in an interview, I always try to set the expectation at the beginning. I may interrupt you just because I, I already got the information I need from that or because I want to steer you in a different direction to get more in, information. Um, uh, and usually that, that, that works. If you say, for example, tell me about the time you, you mentor someone uh, on, a, on something they were, they were finding challenging, but actually you knew a lot. Um, and if you can tell me a couple of successful examples where you have done that, um, that that shows you have you, a you have some experience doing that. B you have also thought about it, uh, and and you have given it some importance on, on this as part of your work too. Um, so I think trying to be as much evidence based really helps. And also the interviews, uh, how to be objective. We also. It's never a single person's choice whether to hire someone or not. Uh, they, the person goes through a, a series of different panels with different people uh, and different stages. And then there is at the end a calibration meeting where everyone presents their evidence and the different slices of evidence they got. Um, and, and in that way, we in that kind of um, panel, you can see well, actually, I, I got this very nice example, which I think covers maybe what you, you saw was missing. And the other person can say, oh, yeah, you're right, actually. I, did, I didn't get that at the time. Um, so uh, that is an example. That is quite a standardized, I would say, like the, the idea of having different stages and then um, maybe a meeting at the end. Um, but having said that, I think I... I have never seen it work as well, like as as in Poland. So oh. I'm I'm quite proud of that. Yeah. I so I guess generally you've outlined how hiring is unique at Poland, but 
could you, I know that there is quite a lot more that's very unique about the style of work. So could you uh, elaborate a bit more on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this is actually one of my favorite um, bits. Um, in, in terms of like, I, I, re I really like how we can make our companies work for everyone. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite interested in volunteering and diversity. And I think a big part of making that work is having companies that are open to new ways of working, are open to new ideas, are, and they, they can really have that flexibility. So I, I, I think Poland does a lot of that really well. So um, on the one hand, Poland is very flexible in terms of location. Uh, people are quite spread around, for example, my team, one person is in Manchester, one person is in York. Uh, I'm the only person in London, actually. <laughs> um, and, and I think to begin with, that location flexibility is, is something that has to be there. Um, and it's there at Poland. Another thing is you have quite a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, your time and your schedule. And part of that, which I have never had before, and it's quite a nice concept, is um, unlimited holidays or, or like take as much holiday as you need to do your work. Um, and I think it's also quite, quite nice and quite reflected in, in the way people approach holidays. Uh, not so much of the, well, maybe... I'm not going to take this day off because then I cannot take Christmas. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, something like that. Um, I think that that also helps people um, balance what they have outside their work life with their work life. Um, I also think pollen is quite unique in, this, in, and this is very important, open salary policy. So we have a, a an open salary policy, which is, mostly driven by the desire to end the pay gap. Um, and I think this is, I have been particularly affected by this in the past. Like I have, you know, I've been doing my job and, and casually find out that maybe someone else doing the same job was earning more than me. It's a very, it's a very hard situation to be. It's a very unfair and also very hurtful situation to be frustrating also. I think it gives people peace of mind to to say, well, this is this is my this is my role, this is my title, and this is my location per country. So this is my salary. Mm -hmm. um, and if I get a if I get a promotion, this is this is going to be my new salary. Um, I think that I, I love that. I think it really is a step in the right direction, uh, and it's a level of visibility. I, I have never seen before, um, so I'm I'm very very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So um, obviously, it's quite rare for companies to do that. So, are there sort of any unexpected downsides of sharing salary, or why is it not more popular? Is it simply um, employers trying to minimise um, the costs of? Uh, uh, through salaries or is it um, just I because think, it's not the norm? I think there is definitely some, um, I think there may be different factors, right? So one is definitely, 
an employer trying to minimize how how much they pay because maybe if you find out you are underpaid you will argue for a raise just for yourself but maybe i have other 10 employees that i'm also underpaying that they will never argue for themselves and i can get away with that um i think there may also be a factor of um not wanting to disclose maybe how much the c-suite makes or you know the owners of the company that usually are in those kind of levels uh, make uh, maybe they feel uncomfortable um i'm i'm speculating here um i think the the downside i have seen um is that you don't have a wiggly room uh in the salary area when you're negotiating with a candidate so if you are making an offer to a candidate, um, once you set the level and you say, for example, okay, this person is a senior, you have the salary you have to offer and you don't have like, well, actually, if I'm having a hard time convincing them, I can, I, I have this space to give a bit of more offer. Um, you won't have that. Um, but that is where we rely on the company culture and the other things we offer um to make the offer more appealing like the the collaborative environment you will be joining uh the holiday schemes you will have um and so on mm-hmm. and i think also the but i also it's interesting because i also find um minorities appreciate a lot more maybe the open salary policy um in my experience at least uh, when when discussing to candidates is something like minorities appreciate a lot. Uh, yeah. And I can, I can see why from my, from my own experience. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so why, why would that be? Well, because um, most, most minority, well, I, I think a lot of my friends that are minorities in the tech industry have been one or once or more in this situation, when you find out you're underpaid um, relative to someone doing the same job as you, maybe within the same company. Uh, and I think is you there is a lot of data showing that it's a lot harder for minorities uh, to get those pay rise, to be offered a good starting salary somewhere, uh, and so on. So I think it gives a lot of reassurance and a lot of peace of mind to know you're not going to have, have to fight your way to a fair salary. Yeah. And so that's sort of tackling um, unconscious bias people might have then? Absolutely. I think that is one of the main benefits. Uh, it's not up to the manager and, and kind of the feel they have with you, how much you're going to be paid is, is well, which is your your level, are you a senior, are you a mid, are you a staff engineer? And that determines how much you're going to be paid. Um, Yeah. So um, there was one other um, area of uh, Poland's culture that I thought was uh, quite unique. Um, I think it was the, like the key performance indicators. That's sort of how they um, evaluate uh, so it's not necessarily hours worked per day, but it's sort of delivering on outcomes that you've agreed with your... 
Absolutely. Um, could you sort of uh, perhaps um, talk about how you set those KPIs? Because I would imagine it's very difficult to measure um, productivity, for example, how much somebody... Yeah, so this is very related um, to some of the main drivers we have at Pollen. Um, And two of the main are freedom and ownership. Um, So I have been talking a lot lot about uh, freedom, kind of freedom to choose where you work, freedom to choose um, your hours and so on. And there is the other side of that, which is ownership. And you take ownership of your work, you feel uh, proud of your work and, and then you choose how to best do it and, and how to, um, how to accommodate and, be- and make good decisions towards that. Um, those, so the way these two work, uh, on the sense of person is usually you would have, um, so there are two, two levels to this. So one is of course, um, at the team level, you would have your team objectives for the quarter, for example, and you will um, have people that will be maybe responsible for one project or the next. Um, and that is kind of how the team goes from the teamwork to the people level and the ownership level. There is another aspect, and this is quite common across companies, and probably you have heard them many times, and I'm not saying anything new. But there is another aspect which I think is is quite unique to Poland and I haven't seen before, which is we run quarterly mastery sessions, which each person, each person in the company has quarterly mastery session. What's a mastery session? So you sit with your manager uh, and you talk about which are your values, which are the things that drive you. Um, maybe, I don't know, for example, say curiosity is one of your biggest values. Um, so you choose your top five values, then you choose you you check you do like um you do like a, a you have some, a bit of thinking time and you think okay what do I do usually on my day to day which is my my core activities what am I doing most of the time and you separate those within things you're good at things you're bad at and things that give you energy and things that subtract energy um so if something gives you energy and you're really good at and that is part of your daily job. That's where the gold is. That is a triumph. You know, that is kind of things that you will get energy from doing. You're also good at them. So your team will benefit. The company will benefit. Um, and from the other areas, we try to see how we can move them there. So for example, if something gives you energy, but you're not really good at, how can we support you to get better at that? Um, and you also have a mastery budget at assigned. So you, for example, you say, well, I'm actually, I, I actually really enjoy working with this technology, but I'm not really, I'm not very good at it. Okay. We can support that. We can, you can buy books, you can go to conference, you can do a course, uh, and you have a budget for that. And then we can try to move that towards, um, it gives you, it still gives you energy, but now you're actually good at it. Um, and, and then you try to also, and the way, and this, I think you get the idea with the quadrants. And the, the thing is trying to minimize the things that if you cannot move it to the positive quadrant, try to minimize it within your day to day and try to, within your role, give you more of the things that give you energy 
um, and you are either good at or you're trying to get good at. Um, there is not really a lot of point in getting people to do a job they don't like and they don't want to do. Uh, so, um, or, or or maybe even try, and if, and, and if there is something that is part of the role and is quite, you cannot really give it up and it doesn't give you energy, how can you find something within that uh, that you can enjoy or how can you how can you see it through the lens of one of your values mm. to appreciate a bit more so i think mastery is quite a nice space and the last part of that mastery space is after you have done that reflection you get to set goals which are personal to you and it's usually recommended um, that you set one transformative goal something that will really drive drive you forward in a quite significant way. And then you can have other more smaller goals. Um, and I think this is, this is another way of seeing performance that I haven't seen before. So the, the first kind of broke down from the team goals on project level to how you split that work and you assign it to people and people are responsible for projects. Yes, I have seen that many times before, and that's nice, actually. I like it. But this, this is something I haven't seen before, and I think it's quite transformative for the individual, because also when you look back and you say, well, actually, look at all the things I have achieved for myself that are aligned to my values, that is quite, a, that, that is quite something to be proud of. Yeah. Definitely. And I think especially um, around the new year, like this is something lots of people are thinking about. So I think this is quite nicely timed as an episode <laughs> discussing those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, well, actually, um, people use one of the mastery sessions is usually just before the end of the year break or, or just after yeah. people do them. Um, so, yeah. so they start the new Water yeah, yeah. And I guess it's good to have that time off to give you some perspective and um, that's why I guess this time of year is associated with setting goals partly at least but this is not something that is done just to clarify this is not something you do on your time off right so this is something mm -hmm. you do with your manager in like a on like a two-part session slightly longer um, and that is important to clarify just because Manage, like the role of the manager at Poland is also a bit different to what is the role of the manager in other companies. And at Poland is very focused on people growth. Uh, so how to get people to, to feel proud of their work, happy with their work, and to feel they have a progression mm. so, so that they are not stagnated. Um, yeah. So it sounds almost like the, the manager role has like, uh, you need to be quite up to speed with almost psychology of work. Absolutely. Say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is something is, I'm, I'm super passionate about. I, I, I quite love this. Um, and for example, we have uh, also our engineer managers community and we have offsites of the engineer managers and we discussed for example psychology of work and studies that have been made about when people feel happier at work 
what what kind of things have proven just not to work um <laughs> and and what things uh what kind of smaller changes or or big changes but that work at the company stage we are at could work and we can get on board with um so it's definitely evidence-based approach to solving mm. problems yeah so i sort of just to um finish up the discussion of your work at pollen uh i thought it'd be interesting to find out a bit more about uh what the engineering lead role involves because you just mentioned there uh the sort of management but i'm wondering is there still uh a technical side to it say in your day-to-day -day, you programming for example um what, yeah, so the, the, what are the different activities and perhaps what's the um proportion of your time you spend on on each yeah so um the engineering lead role is it's a role within the management track so it's out within kind of senior engineer and manager um it has the side of i think my my work is kind of split in three um one is this manager side we have been chatting about one is um stakeholders uh management and i i do talk a lot with stakeholders that uh a lot that are non-technical uh that work with the team a lot that are technical uh from other teams um and kind of do a lot of the refinement for example for projects that involve discovery and and several team collaboration and there is another third part to it which is um technical guidance uh for for the team and for example if people need um say like okay i have this problem and i want to discuss it uh we can jump on a call or we can have a brainstorming session um I also I also do discovery work, for example, when at the beginning of the project there is that fussy point in time when you have to break it down into smaller doable uh, chunks of work. Um, so I do that uh, also quite a lot at the beginning uh, of, a, of a new project. Um, I haven't been doing coding myself, to be honest. Um, I do find like with these three things, I run out of time on the week, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do write quite a quite uh, a lot of documentation, um, which is something I, I found that not a lot of people like to do, and I actually quite like it. So mm. I was like, okay, I can contribute with doing this bit that people don't feel so comfortable doing. <laughs> sure. Uh, so and you me you mentioned sort of like the management track and then i guess the other one is sort of like uh it's often called like individual contributor is that yeah exactly yeah um absolutely so um after senior engineer when you have several levels within senior engineer but after the highest senior le uh senior engineer level it opens into uh one is the management track which is uh this one i'm on um and the other one is the individual contributor track, which you have staff engineer, principal engineer. Um, usually, uh, so those uh, engineers 
uh, as you say, are individual contributors, they don't manage people, they get involved in bigger scopes of projects and they remain hands-on. So they remain kind of uh, coding, they remain like technical proposals. Uh, it's very interesting though different levels are quite different among themselves because um, the staff engineer is still quite closely linked to a team uh, and closely linked to the projects one team is working on. Whereas, for example, the principal engineer, how he's set up, uh, has a wider view of the teams and what's the distribution of the projects among the teams um, and what kind of challenges would a new, for example, venture of the company have on how the teams are splitting their work. Um, they have like a bigger global picture of the technical challenges among teams and how they they would affect each other. Um, I think it's a super interesting role, that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I know um, a lot of people, perhaps, who are engineers, when they think of their future, and um, I'm definitely in this camp, you're thinking, which path do you want to go down towards like the management direction or perhaps like a deeper expertise? So what advice would you give to people and how did you make this decision for yourself? I think um, if you're not a com I think these kind of uh, exercises I told you about of the mastery session, even if you don't have a company that runs them with you, you can do it yourself. Think about, okay, from my day to day, what gives me energy? What excites me the most? What is mostly linked to what I want to contribute. And, and then think about, okay, where could I feed that uh, the most? So for example, if you, if you find that, uh, just to give examples, right? But if you find, for example, that you get uh, most of your energy uh, when you are solving a, tech, a, a very complex technical challenge, uh, and if you feel it really drains your energy when you are having to support a colleague that maybe is struggling to be happy at work or, or, or the, you are supporting someone to grow their career, if you find that it's not really something that may interest you a lot, well, you're clearly maybe more aligned for the individual contributor path. Um, how did I make that choice for myself? Mm, that's an interesting one. I think, um, well, I was a senior engineer before, and I re I, I actually really like the technical part. Like, I really like coding, and I really like um, those kind of problems. But I always felt that what would make me proudest would be, for example, if I could help someone learn something new, if I could help someone get that promotion they wanted if i could get you know like someone that they wanted to maybe maybe make a career change into tech and i would help them and I, they would get that first job that would make me immensely proud and happy and also i always found that for me one one of the things that i was very interested in is how we can make organizations where people 
are really happy to, to be there and they are really glad to show up at work on Monday. And, and it's kind of, and I thought the impact I could have on that problem itself was a lot bigger if I went into the manager track than if I went to the individual contributor track. Because from my point of view, and from what I have seen in the different organizations I've been, what makes you happy to show up at work, in part it's the technical work, but the environment plays a huge part in that. And, and, and it's the managers who set the tone, I think, for how the environment is going is, is gonna to work and what kind of what policies, what, what kind of behaviors are going to be rewarded, what kind of behaviors are going to be encouraged, what kind of, kind of behaviors are going to be flagged as, as not, not collaborative, non-beneficial, uh, or what kind of things are, are there to be celebrated. Mm. Um, and that is how I ended up doing the decision for myself. I, I felt like that those kind of things really motivated me. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, at least for me, um, I'm quite early in my career still, and that's quite a long way off before I think I'll need to make that sort of decision about the branch. Um, and you can always good. go back and forth, right? So, like, yeah. if I if if I today said, well, actually, I prefer to be an individual contributor again, I can always go back. Yeah. So. Um, one advice I would say is don't take it as a super definite choice. Yeah, and I guess probably then um, just experimentation is a good approach almost if it's not it's not uh, a final uh, yeah. decision at all. Yeah, absolutely.